Well, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, we're, we're at the end of a series. It's always exciting to start a series, to finish a series, to anticipate a new series. And uh, this series uh, is what we call a values series. It's where we take one or some of our church values and we preach about them for a few weeks. We'll have another one in September, and uh, we're looking forward to that one already. And this series has been called a supernatural community. And what we're thinking about is how is it that God creates something so beautiful from materials like us? You know, if if you think about it, if you're going to build something impressive, if you're going to build something special, you want to get the very best of materials. But God is so God that he is able to take people like you and people like me and form us into a community that goes way beyond what can be manufactured or engineered socially. Okay, so we've been thinking about a supernatural community and, and really inviting one another to lean into that, to lean forward and to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, we started off uh, three weeks ago with the idea, a really basic idea that, that we need to be gripped by, that we love, we love God, we love each other because God first loved us. And so it's always going to be driven by God's love that we're ever able to love one another. And so we thought about God's love week one. We thought about in week two uh, how God takes a community and fills it with his spirit and by his spirit works in our midst. And as part of that message, the one that Ron uh, brought to us, we thought about uh, redeeming the time as one of the, the features within that. This uh, sense that what's asked of us is kind of to lean in, to participate, to engage but really it's God who is at work in our midst to do something uh, truly special. And so this value that we've been uh, referencing, we'll put it up on the screen again, investing time to build healthy relationships characterized by authenticity and grace. We got to that really week three. Okay, we, we, we kind of laid the foundation, investing time to build healthy relationships characterized by authenticity. And that's where we were last week, thinking about authenticity. And authenticity requires grace. The two have to go together. Really what we're talking about is the kind of community that we all would like to be a part of. A community where you can take your mask off, where you can be real with people, but stay safe. And that's one of the problems, isn't it? That we think that if if we take our mask off, if we're real, if we show vulnerability, that then we won't be safe, we'll be criticized, we'll be mocked, we'll be gossiped about. And that, those kind of things that are so common in the world mean that we're, we're trained from the, the earliest days to kind of self-protect and uh, to cover up and to hide and retreat and not let the real us come out. And we thought about that last week. And we thought about the fact that if we don't really connect, if we do not have relationships that are characterized by authenticity, then we don't know other people, other people don't know us, and slowly we will die because we're created for relationship. But where there can be authenticity, where where you can be known and you can know, then you can be truly alive. You can have the most intense experiences, the most wonderful joys, the most thrilling friendships, the most supportive environment to cope with the difficult times. To have authentic relationships with one another is to be very much alive. And so how is that possible? Last week we were in John 13 and we thought about Jesus Uh, who obviously is the most important person ever, very high up, very significant, stripping off his clothing and wrapping himself in a towel and essentially humiliating himself by washing the feet of his disciples. 
How could he do that? How is it possible for Jesus, of all people, to go that low in a group uh, of men like that? And we thought about the anchor points, a phrase we used last week. This idea that right at the start of the passage, Jesus was there in that room, but the anchor points for his identity, the anchor points for his security were not in that room. It was what God had given to him. It's that he'd come from God and he was returning to God. And so with those anchor points outside the room, he was able to be humble because he was safe. And we thought about how that's true for us too. When our gaze is fixed on what God has given us and we remember what God has done in the past and we remember where we're going, we anticipate what's still future, where we're going to be and what that's going to be like. It allows us in the present to be vulnerable and instead of protecting ourselves to to be real with one another, to take risks, to be authentic. But authenticity requires grace. If we don't have a community that's saturated and shot through with grace in its very DNA, then it's not going to be a community that can stay authentic very long. Maybe some of you have experienced that. An environment where where either deliberately or accidentally you were kind of revealed, exposed. In some way, uh, something embarrassing, something uh, kind of some... A symbol of weakness, some element of, uh, of kind of showing the real you just for a moment. And the reaction from others made you close up and pull back and say, I am never going there again. This world can be so painful. This world can be so cruel. But the church is supposed to be so different. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's what we're thinking about today. How is it that we can have a community that is characterized by grace? Where does that come from? What does that involve? Well, just like last week with John 13, there were those anchor points outside of the situation that enabled Jesus in that room to be vulnerable I think the same thing is true with grace. There are anchor points outside of our situation that mean within the situation we can be gracious. We can spill the love of Christ toward one another. And so we're going to look at uh, Colossians 3, and we're not going to go through the whole thing. Basically, there's three chunks in what Hannah read. If you want to take a look at it again, page 984, uh, there's three uh, kind of segments to that reading. The first segment, the first four verses, we'll look at briefly. Those are the anchor points for us, and we really do need to get those in place first. And then there's kind of a a section of the negatives that are no longer true, and the stuff that, that you kind of leave that behind now because of what's new in Christ. And then from verses 12 to 17, here are the positives. Here is what you are to put on. It's like uh, Paul is giving clothing advice. He says, you should wear this, 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 and this. And, and the this is that he says are the characteristics of Christ. Now, if we jumped in at verse 12 and said, right, we need to do these things, the danger is that we would take it on ourselves as a bit of a burden. I've got to work this up. I've got to work up kindness. And we can't really work up kindness very well. That's why we've got to start with the anchor points. And so let's look at those first four verses very briefly and just see what the anchor points are. I think really there's two implicit in what he's saying here. First verse, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I'd learned this in another version where it says, set your hearts on things above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here are the two anchors for us, the two things that we need to kind of have rooted in order for the grace to to become a feature of our lives. Number one, it's the gaze. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. There used to be a phrase that that went round and uh, people would kind of uh, jokingly use it of Christians. Oh, so-and-so is so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly use. That idea that someone's so caught up in the clouds, they're just useless down here. Well, the Bible would beg to differ. To be heavenly minded, to have your gaze fixed on Christ, on where he is, on who he is, on what he's done. To have your values wrapped up, caught up in his heart, in his values, all of that. To fix our gaze on him is to be, therefore, massively useful in this world. It's what this world desperately needs. And so it's an issue of gaze. We need to make sure that our gaze is lifted to Christ. If it's not, we will never be gracious like Christ with one another. And so the gaze is important. But the second thing, and this is the one that's more subtle, is the union. He doesn't use the word union. doesn't use the word gaze, actually. Uh, but he doesn't use the word union. What he's talking about here, though, is, is something richer than just God's given you new life. You now have a new status. Live in it. What Paul's saying here is, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. If you read through Paul's letters, and this Colossians is one of them, there's 13 of them, you read through it. The big, big theme for Paul is in Christ. You are in Christ. And at times he puts it the other way around. Christ is in you. And you are with Christ and Christ is with you and Christ is our life and our life is hidden with Christ. And these back and forth statements are describing something that I I can't think of a better way to phrase it than a marriage union. The gospel is that Jesus has come into this world and he's died on the cross as a proposal. To to woo your heart, to win your heart back into relationship with God. Here we are in this world. Caught up in ourselves, self-protecting, acting as if we're the center of the universe. And suddenly we encounter the good news that God loves us in such a radical way that he would pay the price for our sin. That he would invite us back into his family in a way that we don't deserve. It's kind of like, it's like we're, we're a beggar or a pauper or a harlot or something like that. We're, we're nothing. And the prince has come. And what he said is, here. Let me take everything that's yours and make it mine. All your debts, all your sins, all your guilt, all the yuckiness, all the ugliness, all the stuff that you've been trying to hide for all these years. Let me take that and and I'll own that. That can be mine. And when you're mine, all that is mine is therefore yours. All my wealth, all my riches, all my status, all my position and my access to my father, it's all for you. The gospel is an invitation into a marriage with Christ. Isn't that amazing? That we've been brought into a relationship with Christ. And you may have noticed this. When two people get married, as they love each other, they become like each other. Things become shared. 
It it becomes less and less distinct. There's a, a union there that's so profound. And that's just a picture of what we've been brought into with Christ. And that is the anchor point. That our gaze is fixed on our bridegroom and that our union is with our bridegroom. And since that's the reality, therefore, we can reflect his character in our community. We can be like Christ as we function in the church environment. Not because we're working it up, not because we're trying really hard, not because we've turned over a new leaf and made a new determination, but because we're united to him by his spirit, it brings about transformation in us. And so from verses 5 through to 11, Paul says, okay, so put to death whatever is of the old nature, all the old stuff. Just enough of that. Let's just be done with that. It doesn't, you don't need to wear those beggar's clothes anymore. You don't need that cardboard with the marker pen on it anymore because you're married to the prince. Just let that stuff go. And and what he talks about there is things like immorality and impurity and, and idolatry and greed and lying and all the things that that really aren't fitting for the bride of Christ. He said, just put that off. It doesn't fit anymore. It's not for you. And instead, put on these things. Notice in uh, verse 12, he says, put on then, and he starts into a list. But if you go back up uh, just a couple of verses, uh, verse 9, he says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're putting off the old stuff and we're invited to put on really a list that is going to be about the character of Christ. Not something we work up, something that he works out through us. And so we're going to look at these verses 12 to 17 because these are so, so important for us. If we're going to be a community characterized by grace... It's going to mean that those of us who know Jesus, who have a relationship with him, that that gaze and that union is the anchor points. That's the, the connection that then means in our everyday circumstances, the grace of Christ can flow through us. And as we're united to him and we enjoy him, his character flows through us. And guess what happens? Gradually, bit by bit, it creates a community Not just characterized by grace, but a community that's safe for authenticity. That's the goal. A community where it's safe to be vulnerable. Where it's safe to be real. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I've failed. Hey, I'm doubting. I'm really struggling with anxiety. I'm really struggling with sin. I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure that I'm the best person for that. The kind of vulnerability that the world doesn't really allow us to show, God wants us to be able to show in this group of people. And so let's think about verses 12 to 17. Let's, let's ponder what it is that we're supposed to be putting on, not birthed out of our own effort, but as we keep those anchor points, the gaze on Christ, the union with Christ, as that reality works itself out in us, this is how his grace and love is going to spill through us. Okay, so verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Even before he starts into the list, he's making sure that, that that's clear. Who you are is going to lead to what you're like. It's not what you're like determines who you are. That's the world's way of thinking. In the church, it's who you are 
that will determine what you are like. And so as you lean into who you are, put on then, and he goes into this list, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We could take a a bit of time on all of these. Let's just mention a couple. Compassionate hearts. A compassionate heart is one that feels with Last year, Melanie and I had a miscarriage. We had no, I, I had no idea. I'm sure Melanie did uh, before. Uh, she's, you know, more connected to people. For me, I had no idea how much that would hurt. And, and there was, in those first few weeks there, there were times where we were just weeping and holding each other. And I remember so many times where we were just saying, it just hurts. It just hurts. And we really appreciated the fact that we were part of a community that included people who got that. Maybe they'd been there themselves and they could relate. Maybe they hadn't been there, but they were willing to engage. And that community of compassionate hearts toward us was such a source of strength. As opposed to being in a community where you're not allowed to show any weakness. Where, you know, I don't want to raise the issue because I don't want to stir up emotion. You know, if someone's in the midst of something, they are in the midst of it. You mentioning it doesn't bring it up. You know, so the world's way of handling it is just kind of suppress it, hide it, pretend all is well. A Christian way is to reach out in compassion and care because that's what Christ A community marked by compassionate hearts. And then he talks about kindness and humility and meekness. That's giving. Uh, Kindness is a giving thing, a kind of what can I give to you? How can I encourage you? How can I lift you up? Humility says you're more important than I am. How different that is from the world's way of functioning. Meekness says, you know what? I'm not going to dominate. I'm not going to step in and step on. I'm not going to take over. I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of meek and gentle for the sake of unity in this group setting and then patience why patience in fact why does paul develop the issue of patience he takes a whole verse to develop it and we'll look at it in verse 13 why does he dwell on patience i'll give you two reasons why is patience so important in the community of god's people reason number one me reason number two you right? Because we're all flawed. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all uh, do things that are wrong. Sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes it's just plain rude or unthinking or uncaring. And as humans, there are going to be repeatedly times where there's just this grating against one another. And so Paul says, patience, let me develop that. Verse 13, how does he develop it? He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I was uh, getting my hair cut this week. I'm not trying to draw attention to that, but I was sitting in the barbers, and um, he wasn't particularly chatty. I wasn't particularly chatty. The radio was on. And on the radio, I don't quite get why this was happening, but there was an expert in building cracks. So you know like cracks that appear in buildings? He was, he was taking phone calls. I was thinking, what obscure radio is this? And it turns out it was Radio 2. And so he was taking 
calls and the people were phoning up and saying, hey, uh, yeah, I've got this crack and it's appearing on the northwest corner of my south-facing wall and it's going up to the whatever. You know, I couldn't follow. And this chap was saying, ah, nothing to worry about. Just, just cover it over. Oh, no, no, that one's serious. You want to take that one more seriously. If that's a retaining wall, you know, that crack's a big deal. And, and this was going on. I, I thought it was a joke. It went on for like 20 minutes. Okay, I don't own a building, and if I did, maybe I'd care more about cracks. But I'll tell you the cracks I do care about. It's cracks in the community of God's people. Because the moment there's a breakdown, the moment there's a a bit of tension, the moment there's an awkwardness between people, there's a crack. And if we were to phone God and say, okay, how serious is this crack? I think the answer would be serious enough to deal with on every single one of them. And the danger is we think, oh, I can just leave that one. Oh, just, you know, just ignore it. I don't want to go to the bother of dealing with it. But if we don't deal with it, these little cracks become larger cracks. I was thinking about it from this angle. What is the greatest threat to Trinity Chippenham? No matter what happens on Thursday, the government is probably not going to try to shut us down, whoever we get. We're not in that kind of a country yet. Even with all the terrorism that's going on in the world and all the evils that are happening, we don't face that here yet. Even if we run out of money and we can't rent this wonderful facility, it's not a crisis. We'll meet in homes. We'll figure it out. What is the biggest threat to Trinity Chippenham? I think it might be a lack of application of Colossians 3.13, where we start taking for granted that there will be cracks in a community of God's people. Someone says something. Someone does something, someone doesn't say something, or someone doesn't do something, and it creates a gap. We watched a, a video last, uh, must have been about a year ago, in Life Groups. Andy Stanley was talking about the subject, and he, he said that we have expectations and we have experience. We have expectations of our children, and then we have the experience of our children. We have expectations of one another, and then we have the experience uh, of one another. And he said, when there's uh, expectation and then our experience is different, it creates a gap. What are we to do with that gap? Because that is going to be a weekly, maybe daily question for us to wrestle with. When our experience does not match our expectations and there's a gap, Andy Stanley's suggestion was this, fill it with trust. It wasn't just a suggestion, it was kind of a command. (laughs) You fill it with trust. And I remember the first time I heard that thinking, hang on a minute, how does that work? Because sometimes you can't trust people. You know, some people are just plain not trustworthy. Well, if you can't fill the gap with trust, he said, then you go to the person. And you say, hey, you know, there's ex- expectations, there's experience, there's a gap here, and I want to trust you. Then one of two things happens. Either. The person says, oh, hang on, let me explain what happened. And you go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't have all the facts. That makes total sense. So sorry. Thank you so much for clearing that up. Totally cool. Or the person kind of hangs their head and, and goes, yeah. Yeah, I, I was out of order there. I'm really sorry. Either way, it creates trust. So when there's a gap, we either fill it with trust, and if we can't fill it with trust, we pursue filling it with trust by going and addressing the issue. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Bear with one another. 
This is the filling the gap with trust. This is those tiny little cracks that are maybe not worth actually going to the person about, but we fill them in because we take them seriously. Love covers over a multitude of sins. I think that's talking about the same thing as this. Oh, she said that and it kind of stung. But you know what? I don't think she meant it. I trust her. I forgive her. You know, I, that's, I'm, just, I'm not even going to make a thing of it. I'm going to release it. Talk to God about it. Let it go. When he did that, it really... But you know what? I can forgive him. I can release that. I can just take that and trust him and love him and, and, and all is good. And that in our handbook, we've, we've got in our handbook a section on, on uh, conflict resolution. It's kind of a big, big discussion when we, when we introduced that because it was kind of new, I think, for some people. But the, the dealing with conflicts as if they're really important. And on that, we've got these stages. Uh, and stage zero is bear with and forgive. And that needs to be happening week after week after week. I bear with and I forgive. Now, there is misunderstanding in all of us in that we think that forgiveness requires an apology. It doesn't. It takes one person to forgive, and that's you. If someone hurts you, you forgive. Remember, it's as the Lord forgave you. God didn't wait until we tried to make things right with him before he sorted the issue. He sent his son, and his son died while we were still shaking our fists at heaven. While we were still spitting on him, he died. And that's how we're to forgive. We're to preempt and forgive the other person. Now, it does take two to reconcile. When there's been a breakdown, when there's a tension and and the relationship is awkward, you can forgive and you should forgive. That doesn't solve everything. It takes two to reconcile. And that's where sometimes you have to approach and you have to talk and you have to work things through. Otherwise, reconciliation doesn't occur. But even when it's going to take two, forgive first. If you're going to go to somebody and say, you know, there's this tension between us or there's this issue or there's this thing. If you haven't worked it through in your own heart with God first to get to the point of forgiving them. You're going to bring that tension into that conversation. It may not go well. It's much, much wiser to forgive first and then to reconcile. Now, if we are to bear one another and forgive whatever grievances we have against one another, filling the gap with trust whenever we can, but when we can't, we are to approach the person and say, well, there's this gap and I kind of want to talk this through with you. I want to trust you. Can you help me out? What options are there beyond that? Because, okay, forgiving, I get that. Sometimes I struggle to forgive. So what if I can't? Then I have to approach? Yes. But what if I can't approach or I don't want to approach or it's kind of inconvenient to approach or let's face it, we'd much rather not approach. Well, actually, there isn't another option. In fact, there are four other options that we take that I think are out of order. Let me just list those for you. You may want to write them down. Four things that are not appropriate for a community that's going to be grace saturated. Number one is to just leave it. This person has bothered me in some way. I haven't really forgiven, but I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to leave it. It's not an option. That's leaving that crack to get bigger. You know you have the ability, the strength to 
image of this church? Every one of us does. And just leaving it because it's easier, just leaving it because it's more comfortable, is a very, very dangerous thing to do. Another thing that's not an option is to label the person. You know, I'm just going to label the person. I'm not going to say it to anybody, but in my own heart, I'm going to apply a label. He's touchy. She's weird. He's sensitive. She's whatever. When we label people, we're doing incredible damage. It's kind of like saying, I am so aware of every detail and every motive and everything that's been said and everything that's been done. I am so aware of that, that I am in the position of God of being able to determine what that other person is without speaking to them. That's the height of arrogance, isn't it? And yet we all do it. We all think that it's okay just to kind of on the inside go, yeah, well, we know what he's like. And by not going to the person, we're not loving them. We're not giving them a chance to learn and to grow. We're not loving them. We're not giving them a chance to fix our wrong view because you know what? You don't have all the facts. I don't have all the facts. We never have all the facts just when we're thinking about it ourselves. We need to deal with it. We need to talk. We need to connect. If something's too big to just bear with and forgive, then conversation needs to take place. Leaving it, dangerous. Labeling, wrong. Just dangerous. Retreating tends to follow those two, doesn't it? When you leave an issue and you label the person, you tend to pull away from them. Because why? Well, you don't trust them. You don't trust the way they're going to react. You don't trust them for some reason. Maybe you don't like them. That's perfectly allowed. But, but the, you know, there's this sense of, I'm just going to pull back. And then what we have is a community that's not supernatural. It's incredibly natural, natural. Just like the world where people gravitate to those they like and those like them. To retreat from people. Maybe just me talking about it is already awkward. You're sitting here and you're going, oh man, I, there's this one person in my mind. As soon as he said that, I knew it. Maybe the Spirit of God is just nudging some of us to say, you know what? You're avoiding somebody. You're not a dealing with things. You're not addressing things. You're, you're just avoiding it's not appropriate. It's not helpful. It's not the way that we're going to become a, a, a supernatural community characterized by grace. A safe place for authentic relationships. When we leave, when we label, when we retreat, and finally when we report. A.K.A. gossip. When we go to somebody else to talk about somebody and going to the person themselves... We do untold damage to the community, and it never feels so dangerous, does it? It never feels like you're doing damage. It always feels kind of sweet, kind of tasty. little tasty morsel, a little bit of gossip, you know? Have you heard this about so-and-so? But maybe you've been on the other side of that. Maybe you've shared something kind of personal or, or, or kind of vulnerable with somebody, and a couple of weeks later, somebody else says something that gives you the impression that they've heard Ever had that happen? Something you've shared here comes back to you from there. Ooh, that hurts. What does it make you want to do? Close up. Pull back. It's the exact opposite of what grace does in a community. It's going to take some courage from us to be a community that genuinely deals with gossip. 
that has a zero toleration policy. When someone comes to you and talks to you about someone else, the first question, have you spoken to them about this? Let me encourage you to speak to them about this. Do you know that? Do they know that you're speaking to me about this? It doesn't take too many questions to very graciously make people feel quite awkward. And maybe that's a place where it needs to happen. When the gossip is coming to put a roadblock in the way and say, you know what, we can't, we can't go there. We can't be that kind of a community because it just creates these little cracks and these little cracks start spidering their way across the, the wall of the community. And before we know it, people are avoiding people, avoiding people, avoiding people, and nobody's sharing anything. Maybe you've been in a church like that where it feels like the, the least safe place in your entire week. Because you know if you share, it's going to go around the whole group. We don't want to be that church. By God's grace, we won't be that church. So bearing with and forgiving. That's what it means to be patient. To not jump on every little issue. To not turn everything into a crisis. But to forgive and forgive and to forgive and to forgive again. And then there will be times where you go, you know what? Actually, this is an occasion where I need to approach. To do it carefully, to do it lovingly, and to do it with the attitude of, I want to trust you, please help me. When Paul gets to verse 14, he says, okay, let me wrap that section up. Having talked about kindness and humility and compassionate hearts and so on, and patience especially, he says, over the whole thing, the overcoat over the whole wardrobe, if you like, is love. If you're ever not sure what to do, just love. If you're ever kind of struggling with how do I react to the situation, just say, okay, Lord, help me to know how to love this person in this moment. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love creates a beautiful community. And so as we have our anchor points fixed, our gaze is on Christ, our union with Christ is the reality that's gripping us and driving us as his holy and beloved children, the bride of Christ. As that reality is in place, his grace can spill through us toward one another and the community can become a, a beautiful thing, a safe place where you can be authentic and not be trampled. Paul gives a few more things in the end of the section here. Verse 15, if you just scan your eyes over it, you may notice this. In verse 15, 16, and 17, he says, being thankful, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, giving thanks to God. There's there's an ethos in a community uh, that uh, is characterized by grace, and that is gratitude. A community that's constantly saying thanks. God, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for this. Maybe you've been part of a church where people don't express thanks. They express frustration only. Criticism only. It's, in, it's just like, it's poisonous, isn't it? It's like toxic to be around people that are just negative and critical and tearing down. Giving thanks is what orients our hearts back to God and says, God, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for, for these people. I'm so thankful for the privilege of being part of this community. In verses 15, 16, and then 17, he gives a couple of other specifics. Let me just mention them as we wrap up. Verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. The your is 
you plural. Okay, the, let the peace of Christ rule, arbitrate. Let the peace of Christ referee in your hearts as a group. Notice the end of the sentence is talking about being called into one body. This verse is not referring to peace uh, as some sort of guidance mechanism as to whether or not I'm, I should do A or B. That's, this verse has nothing to do with that. What this verse is about is the Spirit of God, who I think is kind of implied in the peace of Christ, at work in the midst of the community, and he's a referee. He's got a whistle. It's a gentle whistle. It's like a whistle with the ball taken out of it. And the Spirit, God is a gentleman. He doesn't kind of blast us most of the time. But, but if we're sensitive, we'll pick up on the little peeps of the referee's whistle. You know how it is when you're talking to somebody? And you, you crack a joke and, and you can tell momentarily on their face that they didn't find it funny but actually felt it, it kind of stung. And you have that little moment. It's like in that moment the spirit is just kind of very quietly going, very quiet. And, and we can ignore it and we can push it down. No, 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 no. Oh, they'll get over it. Oh, I'll make a bigger scene if I talk about it. No, 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 no. no. But if we're sensitive to the spirit, when we hear that whistle, Say, oh, you know what? I need to deal with that. The beautiful thing about that is if we are sensitive to the Spirit of God, kind of uh, whistling the moment things are awkward, it could be in a life group. I often say things in life group that either the Spirit or my wife nudge me about later. And I'm thankful for both because then I can deal with it. And I love being part of a community where when I'm on the receiving end of something, you know, someone says something and I, I, I kind of go, oh, and I, I sort of pull back. I love being part of a community where chances are they'll get to me before I get to them. I don't want to approach people. Hey, you said that. I don't want to appear touchy. And so, so I may be trying to work up the courage to approach and they come to me and say, hey, when I said that, I, I don't know. I didn't come out the way I wanted it to. And I think, you know, I just feel bad. And I've had quite a few emails like that and texts and, and conversations. And I just praise God for that makes me feel safe in this community. I want to be that kind of person that, that is sensitive to the whistle of the Spirit and gets in there first and just says, hey, not making a big scene, but I think when I said that, I might have hurt you, and I didn't want to hurt you. And I, I, I'm sorry. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Verse 16 talks about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. If we're going to be a community that's characterized by the grace of Christ, then we need to be a community that's hearing Christ. That there's an input, his word pouring into our lives as we individually, as families, as couples, read the Bible. And spend time in God's word so that he can speak into our lives. That will spill over in the way we communicate with one another. Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That kind of language is the overflow of people who are receiving an input from Christ. And then verse 17, whatever you do. Just a kind of a big old catch or whatever, word, deed, anything. Do it all in the name of Jesus, the bridegroom, that we represent, the one we're united to, the one that our gaze is fixed on, whatever you do, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, represent him. And so with our anchor points outside of ourselves and outside of our circumstances, Fixing our gaze on Christ and enjoying the union that we're invited into, being bonded to Christ in marriage by his spirit, our character can reflect his. We can grow in that. We're all growing in that. And then as we 
spill his love to one another in kindness and compassion and meekness and humility and patience as we forgive and bear with and if necessary approach and deal with if, if we have love as a defining characteristic of who we are because that's what our groom is like. If, if we are those who are sensitive to the Spirit's whistle just behind us when we, we say something or do something that kind of comes across the wrong way or does some damage or, or flat out was a sin, whatever it is. When we are filled with the Word of God spilling over in the way that we communicate, that creates a supernatural community. A community that is characterized by both authenticity and grace and it's the grace that creates a safe environment for the authenticity 